Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. I'm going to make a few statements and have them up on the screen. And I want you to guess what I'm talking about. It's like a riddle. And what am I? I'm free to receive and amazing to get. Refuse to give me and you'll be in debt. I may only be given, not taken or bought, though I'm hard to give and often am not. What can I be? I'm forgiveness. Forgiveness. Free to receive and amazing to get, but when you refuse to give it, you're in that person's debt. It can only be given, not taken or bought. It's hard to give, and we often don't give it. See, forgiveness is such a glorious thing to receive. It comes to us free of charge. We don't have to do anything to earn it. We only need to accept it with open arms, and that's true regardless of the source of the, the one giving the forgiveness, right? And the most perfect example of that is the forgiveness that God gives us in his son, Jesus Christ. But it's also true of other sources of forgiveness. It's true of the child who receives forgiveness from her parents for an act of disobedience. It's true of the teenager who receives forgiveness from his teacher, even though he disrespected the teacher and embarrassed him in front of the whole class. It's true of the husband who receives forgiveness from his wife for having an affair. Forgiveness is a double-edged sword, though. I see, it's free and glorious when we receive it, but it's a completely different animal when we're the ones having to give forgiveness. C.S. Lewis once said, Everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. See, it's not easy forgiving someone close to you who lied to you, who manipulated you. It's not easy forgiving someone who abused you and caused you harm. It's not easy forgiving someone who violated you and caused emotional damage. Maybe that's why so many people don't extend forgiveness. Maybe that's why so many people go to their graves harboring decades-old unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment. It's been said that forgiveness is the most difficult spiritual discipline. So how is forgiveness even possible? How can we even begin thinking about forgiving someone who has so deeply hurt us? And what does genuine forgiveness even look like? Well, let's hold on to these questions as we make our way through Genesis chapter 45 this morning, because Genesis 45 is going to provide some answers uh, to these questions. And as we see the story of Joseph finally reach its climax. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis 45. We'll pop there in a minute. Now remember, it's been 22 years 
Since Joseph was first sold into slavery in Egypt by his brothers, their father Jacob had believed this whole time that that Joseph was dead, uh, that brothers still hadn't told him what happened. But God was with Joseph. You see that all throughout Joseph's story. God is with Joseph through all of the ups and downs, eventually leading Joseph to become second in command over all of Egypt. And if you remember, a terrible famine has settled on the land of Canaan and Egypt, but this wasn't news to Joseph because God uh, gave Pharaoh this dream of these seven years of abundance and seven years of famine. And then he uh, asked for someone to interpret the dream. Joseph stepped up to the plate. God gave Joseph the interpretation. So uh, you could see... uh, all of this is happening, and then the twist in the story comes when uh, Joseph's brothers finally make their way from Canaan to Egypt looking to buy some food because they're running out in Canaan. And you remember, Joseph immediately recognizes the brothers but because he's no longer the 17-year-old boy they sold into slavery. They have no idea who he is. He doesn't look like a Hebrew anymore. He walks and talks and acts like an Egyptian. Joseph has tested his brothers a few times. We saw that. And then uh, he's curious to see if they're the same guys they were 22 years ago. And last week we saw that there was some genuine change that happened in the hearts and minds of the brothers. They're changed. They're changed men who have done a, a 180, an about face. Repentance had done its work in the brothers' lives. And now Joseph is ready to reveal, finally, his true identity to his brothers. He's ready to demonstrate to them genuine forgiveness. And as we make our way through the story, we're going to pull out uh, some facts of genuine forgiveness. Now, I'm just going to warn you up front. Sermons, at least what we're taught, is you have a, a main idea, and then you have two points, no more than, up to no more than five points. Bear with me, this is going to be a seven-point sermon All right, but we're going to go through it nice and quick, I promise. All right, so starting in Genesis chapter 45, verse 1. It says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. See, right before this, Joseph had listened and heard the sacrificial plea of his older brother Judah, uh, and Joseph starts to lose it. Remember, Judah is the one who, who made the biggest 180. He was probably the most wicked, and now he's, he's the one who's willing to, to sacrifice everything just to, to lay it all on the line to get food so he can uh, protect his family. Well, Joseph now clears the room of all the Egyptians, all the Egyptian servants, all the Egyptian stewards, and now it's only him. And his 11 brothers left. And Joseph clears the room because he probably doesn't want the Egyptians uh, to see him emote the way he's going to. Um, But he also clears the room because he doesn't want the brothers uh, to be embarrassed and all the Egyptians to find out the extent of what they were really guilty of. So right out of the gate, here's what we see. Our first fact of genuine forgiveness is this. Genuine forgiveness resists unnecessary embarrassment. Genuine forgiveness resists unnecessary embarrassment. See, when you truly forgive someone, when you release that person of all their guilty offenses against you, your desire will be to actually minimize the embarrassment on their part. See, Joseph wanted to deal with the sins of his brother privately, as privately as possible, because his forgiveness was genuine. And so our forgiveness of others is going to express a similar desire. See, we know 
we haven't forgiven someone, if we continue to harbor bitterness, resentment, uh, and rage inside of us, we're going to want to publicize their sins to everybody. We're going to want to go to social media with it and post an update about how so-and-so has offended you. Or you're going to want to gossip about it to friends and family. But forgiveness, when it's genuine and when it's empowered by the Holy Spirit, will resist any unnecessary embarrassment, just as Joseph demonstrated. Picking up in verse 2. And he, Joseph, wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, can you imagine this scene? Put yourself there with the brothers. All of the Egyptians leave the room. The brothers are left wondering what's going on. And then they see this Egyptian prime minister just completely lose it before them. So loud was Joseph's outburst of tears that it reverberated through the Egyptian palace. And then this powerful Egyptian begins speaking to the brothers in their own language, with the words, I am Joseph. And the brothers stood there speechless. They must have been so amazed, so confused, so stunned, so terrified, all at the same time. It must have been a wild combination of emotions. So Joseph tells them, come closer to him. He wants them to see with their own eyes and touch with their own hands that he is, in fact, their own flesh and blood, his, their brother that they sold into slavery. See, Joseph had just revealed the best-kept secret In all of Canaan, in all of Egypt, the brothers are eventually going to realize that Joseph does truly forgive them, but they must be terrified at this point and completely overcome with guilt. So here's another fact of genuine forgiveness that we see at play here. Genuine forgiveness refuses to pretend that pain wasn't inflicted. Genuine forgiveness refuses to pretend pain wasn't inflicted. See, I love how Joseph releases all of his guilt and, and, and all of his uh, built-up emotion and his tearful outburst. Now, they weren't tears of anger. They were tears of relief. It was good that the brothers saw him emote the way that he did. It was good that Joseph emoted the way that he did. And, and though Joseph wasn't about to uh, put on them uh, heaps of guilt and shame, he doesn't either pretend that he wasn't hurt by their actions. He even reminds them of their responsibility in all of it. He tells them, I'm Joseph. Remember, I'm the one you sold into Egypt, into slavery. That's me. And this is how forgiveness works. See, that whole forgive and forget thing is, is a bunch of baloney unless you genuinely can't remember anything like I feel like I don't half the time. But that's one of the things that makes forgiveness so difficult is, is the remembering, right? the, the inability to forget. We need to forgive even though we actively remember and rehearse in our minds over and over again the offenses against us. We don't just shove the pain under the rug and ignore all the difficult emotions that come along with being sinned against. As believers, we have to acknowledge the injustice done against us and experience the pain. And then we thank God for his forgiveness, which uh, caused inexplicable pain to Jesus um, because of us. And then we allowed Christ and, and God to forgive that guilty person through us. So it's not a matter of ignoring or forgetting. Rather, when you genuinely forgive someone, you allow God to, to reach into your emotional core 
And to change you, you acknowledge the hurt, you acknowledge the hate, and then you forgive from the heart. It's clear that Joseph forgave from the heart. He must have seen the guilt and the shame wash over the faces of his brothers that day, and which is something he didn't want them to feel. So look at how he continues uh, to respond with such grace, picking up in verse 5. He, he says, And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. And come down to me, do not tarry. See, Joseph has, has such a grand view of God, and he understands his situation, his temporary situation, in light of eternity. And in light of God's sovereignty, he sees how God used the evil actions of his brothers uh, to, to his own benefit and for the survival of the promise in line of Abraham, that promise that God gave to Abraham. And, he, and Joseph expresses this reality to his brothers, and he's hoping that they won't, they won't keep feeling the same guilt and the same shame that they've been burdened with these past 22 years. And that's why he encourages them not to be distressed with themselves, not to be angry with themselves. And in this, we see then a third fact of forgiveness. Genuine forgiveness relieves the offender of shame. Genuine forgiveness relieves the offender of shame. See, one of the ways you'll know you've truly forgiven the person who sinned against you is when you find yourself wanting them to experience relief from all of their guilt and all of their shame that they feel. See, if I was in Joseph's sandals, Maybe if you were in Joseph's sandals, we would have done things a little differently. We'd have probably wanted our brothers to squirm a little bit. We'd want them to wallow in their feelings of guilt. We'd want to make sure that they knew that we were pained and injured. And maybe we'd gloat over how they deserve the shame and the guilt that they've been dealing with for the past 22 years. Of course, though, that wouldn't be genuine forgiveness. Now, could you really say to that one person, that person that has maybe already popped into your head since we've been talking about forgiveness, can you really say to that person, I forgive you. I forgive you and I don't want you to be angry. I don't want you to be distressed. I don't want you to feel guilt or shame over what you did to me. Is that something you'd be able to do? Maybe not in your own strength. What if some high schooler ran over and killed your wife. See, when 16-year-old Shannon Etheridge was driving to her high school uh, one day, she ran over a woman named Marjorie. Lady Marjorie was riding her bike along uh, the side of the country road, and Marjorie died as a result. And Shannon Etheridge, who was found completely at fault by the authorities, was absolutely consumed with guilt and shame. And she contemplated suicide a bunch of times, but she never took her life because of the response of one man, Gary, who happened to be Marjorie's husband. Gary forgave 16-year-old Shannon and asked the attorney to drop 
all the charges against her um, because she likely would have been found guilty. Instead, he simply asked that Shannon continue on in the godly footsteps of his wife Marjorie. And he said this to the teen girl. He said, you cannot let this ruin your life. God wants to strengthen you through this. In fact, I am passing Marjorie's legacy on to you. See, Gary's act of forgiveness showed Shannon the amazing love and kindness and forgiveness of the father. Now, Shannon Etheridge, realizing she was free from all of this guilt and shame that once consumed her, she actually went on into full-time Christian ministry, and she became uh, the author of some of the best-selling books, like Every Young Girl's Battle, Every Woman's Battle, and even a book aimed at helping other women overcome guilt-ridden lives. See, like Joseph, that man Gary extended genuine forgiveness and wanted to relieve his offender of shame. So we pick up the story in verse 10. Joseph says this to his brothers. He says, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. And then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. It'd be a pretty interesting conversation to listen in on, I'm sure. See, so great is the forgiveness of Joseph that he does all that he possibly can to restore his relationship with his family and to be reunited with them. He makes them an offer that they can't refuse, but it urges them to, to go get their father and to bring him back to Egypt where they can enjoy abundant provisions even during the next five years of famine that are to come. And then he and Benjamin start crying together. He and the other brothers start crying together. There's lots of tears. I don't know if it's a Jewish thing. I'm not sure, but there's lots of tears. But here's the, the fourth thing that we learn. See, genuine forgiveness restores broken relationships. Genuine forgiveness restores broken relationships. See, restoration between Joseph and his brothers never would have taken place if Joseph harbored bitterness, if he harbored that resentment, and, and if he held a grudge against them. Instead, though, his kind attitude, his loving attitude, his forgiving attitude, in spite of the horrible rejection that he received, opened the way for the brothers to be restored to him. Now, I will say this, when it comes to restoring relationships, forgiveness doesn't demand that all relationships end up working out. That's not a requirement of forgiveness. There are times this isn't possible. There are times that where it actually be, might, might be more harmful um, to, for restoration to happen, right? Because true restoration re requires two parties, one person, re one party repenting and one party offering forgiveness. If Joseph's brothers hadn't repented, like at this point they had, so Joseph was convinced of that, restoration wouldn't have even been possible. Forgiveness still would have been, but likely not the restoration that we see here. And this is sometimes the case um, today with uh, cases of abuse or codependency, right? Suffering abuse at the hands of someone then forgiving them doesn't demand that you go back to that person and suffer the same abuse. And not unless that person has genuinely repented. And it could be the same with 
codependent relationships, right? With those kinds of relationships, oftentimes it's necessary to, to put up strict boundaries to, to offer forgiveness, but not restoration because you will only end up further enabling um, that person who's dependent on you. But the ultimate goal, when one person repents and when another extends forgiveness, the ultimate goal is always restoration. Genuine forgiveness has, as one of its goals, the restoration of broken and damaged relationships. All right, so what happened now in Egypt when this news of the the brothers' restoration uh, made its way up and down the Nile? Verse 16 says this, when the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Now that's interesting. Remember, the Jews, uh, the Hebrews were not thought very highly of by the Egyptians. The Egyptians didn't like them. And yet now there's 11 more, and it pleases Pharaoh. And it pleases the servants in Pharaoh's household. See, the, the news of Joseph's revelation and, uh, to his brothers and of their restoration uh, finally reaches Pharaoh, and they're pleased by it. See, what, what Pharaoh and what the servants in Egypt learned that day was something of the God of Joseph. They learned about the forgiving heart of God, the kind heart of God, the merciful heart of God, the loving heart of God. And that's another truth that we see in this passage. Here's the fifth one. Genuine forgiveness reveals God's character to unbelievers. Genuine forgiveness reveals God's character to unbelievers. See, if this was true in Joseph's day, it's certainly true in our day, right? In a world where, where many claim that, that good and evil are just these relative social constructs that have evolved over time, forgiveness reminds them that we actually do live in a, a universe where there's good and bad, evil and, and, and good, right and wrong. So when we display genuine forgiveness for the evil and wrongs committed against us, We're reflecting to the world the kind and loving and forgiving heart of the Father. We're reflecting the hope that we have because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, stating that this life on this earth is not the end. There is more to come, and it's so much more glorious. The name Desmond Tutu might uh, ring a bell. He was an Anglican bishop and theologian in South Africa in the 80s and 90s. And he wrote a book called No Future Without Forgiveness. And he writes this. He says, This is a moral universe which means that despite all the evidence that seems to the contrary, there is no way that evil and injustice and oppression and lies can have the last word. For we who are Christians, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are proof positive that love is stronger than hate, that life is stronger than death, that light is stronger than darkness, that laughter, joy, compassion, gentleness, and truth, all these are so much stronger than their ghastly counterparts. In other words, every single time you make the decision to forgive another person's, your actions are shouting to the world that you have another worldly hope in a good and loving and just God. You become a living testimony of the supernatural power of God to break your chains of unforgiveness and bitterness and rage and anger and resentment. Genuine forgiveness reveals God's character to those who don't know who he is. 
Now, I love how blown away Pharaoh is by Joseph and his 11 brothers because he offers them the best of the best. He's even offering them more than Joseph is offering them, starting in verse 17. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them, he gave a change of clothes. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father, he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. See, Pharaoh reserves the best of the best in Egypt for Joseph and his family. He even commands that they use the Egyptian wagons to bring all the family to Egypt. And yet, here we see then another truth of genuine forgiveness. See, genuine forgiveness results in unexpected blessings. Genuine forgiveness results in unexpected blessings. See, because Joseph genuinely forgave his brothers. So many others were blessed with such incredible provi- provisions. Now, that's, this isn't like, uh, like pro- uh, prosperity gospel. I'm not saying when you forgive someone, ca- cash is going like, to float out of the sky. That would be pretty cool, though. But the reality is there will be unexpected blessings when we forgive someone genuinely like this. See, not only does your forgiveness bless your offender by relieving them of their shame and their guilt, and their sorrow, but you too are going to experience blessings. You get to experience the blessing of being used by God to be an extension of his kindness and his mercy. You get to experience the blessing of emotional healing and and, and spiritual relief. Instead of reliving and rehashing the painful heartache and, and the consuming grief of yesterday's sin, you can walk in the joy and contentment and freedom of today. Your forgiveness dislodges Satan's attempt to keep you down and to keep you sorrowful and to keep you in a vengeful state of unforgiveness. Your relationships with others might even improve because when you hold on to to bitterness and, and anger and resentment in one relationship, it does bleed over into other relationships. You have shorter tempers with others. You struggle to trust other people and you have difficulty building new relationships. But genuine forgiveness reverses all of those things. In fact, medical studies have shown that forgiveness even has tremendous health benefits. Not that this is our primary motivation, but it's all over the internet. You could go on a Mayo Clinic website. It's kind of fascinating to see some of the health benefits of forgiveness. Things like uh, better mental health, better heart health, lower blood pressure, even a, a stronger immune system. I guess you could think of it like this. There's a story told of a teacher who once told each of her students to bring in a clear plastic bag and a sack of potatoes to school. And they were instructed in their class to call to mind every single person they had a grudge against. For every person they had a grudge against, they had to take a potato, write the person's name, and then date the potato, and then put it in this plastic bag. And then they were told to carry this bag with them everywhere. They were told to put it beside their bed 
at night. They were told to put it next to them in the car as they drove. They were told to put it on their lap if they were being driven. They had to keep it next to them during class. They had to travel with it everywhere. And as you'd imagine, some of these bags became quite heavy. Lugging this around and paying attention to it all the time, and then the embarrassment of having it with you in awkward moments started to take a toll. And over time, the potatoes even became moldy and smelly and started to sprout all weird things. But imagine the relief when the sack of potatoes was gone, when they didn't have to carry that around anymore. See, genuine forgiveness is like that. It releases all of that. Genuine forgiveness results in unexpected blessings. So Joseph relates all of this to his brothers, all that Pharaoh had commanded, and then we pick it up in verse 24. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Joseph sends his brothers back to Canaan to retrieve their families, their their goods, whatever they have, and to tell their father Jacob that the son that they lied about and said was dead actually isn't. They lied, and he's really now second in command over all of Egypt. Now Jacob is revived when he finally hears all of this truth. He's revived because his favorite son is still alive, and now he's going to get the chance to see his son. He's revived because he realizes God is preserving the promises that God made to Abraham some years before that. He's revived because he knows his people are going to be spared the effects of the famine, and he's revived because now he's getting the chance to see his family reunited. See, when all of this hits Jacob, he must have been so amazed and so grateful that his favorite son, Joseph, was alive and that his favorite son, Joseph, chose not to seek vengeance, to seek retaliation, because he could have in an instant. Joseph could have had all 11 of them killed in a moment. So the last fact of genuine forgiveness that we see in this passage is this. Genuine forgiveness releases the need for retaliation. Genuine forgiveness releases the need for retaliation. I love what it said in verse 24 as his brothers were departing for Canaan and Joseph looks at them and says, do not quarrel along the way. See, Joseph avoided laying blame on them for his situation and he wants to make sure that they're not going to start nitpicking each other and playing the, the blame game on their way back to Canaan. And after all, this revelation means that the brothers are finally going to have to confess their cover-up and their sin to their father Jacob, which is probably something that frightened them. But I think there's an even deeper truth that Joseph wanted them to to know here. See, the word, uh, when he tells them not to quarrel along the way, the word here, uh, the Hebrew word for quarrel, is a word that means to shake and tremble with, with terrifying fear. So Joseph is not only wanting to make sure they're not going to be fighting, but he also wants his brothers to be convinced that they're not going to be shaking or trembling with fear as if this is some kind of uh, complex ruse for him to ruin the family or to entrap all the brothers and embarrass them in front of their father. 
He doesn't want them to fear that he's going to seek vengeance. He wants them to know he has genuinely forgiven them and wants God's best for each one of them. And see, when we've come to the place of of genuinely forgiving another person, our need for revenge is going to be replaced by our desire to see God's best for them. After all, revenge is paying twice for someone else's crime against you. You pay when someone sins against you, and then you continue to pay the longer you hold on to it and when you carry that pain inside. And seeking retaliation is going to cost so much emotionally and spiritually, so much more than it's worth. But genuine forgiveness releases to God your need to be, for them to be punished, your need for them to be corrected, and it gives it to the only one who can handle it with the correct measures of justice and mercy. That's exactly what Paul exhorts us in his letter to Romans. Listen to Romans chapter 12. Paul writes this. He says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Live in harmony with one another. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. True forgiveness releases the need for retaliation. So there you have it, seven things about forgiveness. And see, this chapter has given us such a a beautiful picture of what genuine forgiveness really looks like. And we pulled out seven truths, seven facts of forgiveness. Now, you could kind of view these facts as like pillars of a house. And they they all sound great. They're all all biblical and they're all true. But there's no foundation yet. See, we skipped over that on purpose because I want to go back to that for a moment. See, there's an important foundation that makes all of this possible, that made uh, the genuine forgiveness of Joseph possible. And it's the foundation that holds up those pillars. And the foundation is simply faith in the sovereignty of God. See, the foundation of genuine forgiveness is faith in God's sovereignty. Look again at verses 5, 7, and 8. Remember what Joseph said. He says, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. See, the, the, the thread that strings together all of these truths of genuine forgiveness is God's sovereignty. Joseph had a very, very big view of God. He understood that God is in control. He understood that every single thing that came into his life, no matter how terrible it was, even the evil deeds and betrayals of his brothers, was going to be used by God. That's why he kept saying, God sent me here. God sent me here. God sent me here. It wasn't you. It was God. God sent me. God sent me. He had such a grand view of God. And imagine how much it would change our lives if we had the same view of God. If we saw every evil word. Every betrayal, every hurt, every abuse, every lie, every injustice is being used for God for his glorious purposes in our lives. What a difference that would make. 
If you're going to be a vessel of genuine forgiveness, then you need a big view of God. You need to have faith in God's sovereignty that he is good and in his goodness he controls every single aspect of your life. Everything that comes into it needs to go through him first. Now, I won't pretend to know what goes on inside your mind or heart, inside your emotions, the memories that seem to haunt you or the pain that you live with because of someone else's wrongdoing. But I do know that, like me, that when, when you're sinned against, chances are your perception gets a little cloudy. You focus on the wrong. You dwell on the unfairness and injustice of all of it, and you recall that trauma over and over again. And someone hurt you. It was wrong. It was evil. We call it what it is. It was evil. But it's so important to let your understanding of God even eclipse your human emotions, and your bad memories. Trust that God is going to work his will in and through the actions of other people, no matter how evil they might be. And remember that in your own strength, you can't forgive this way. In my own strength, I can't forgive this way. We, none of us can forgive this way. We need a right view of God, and we need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit, the one who gave his life, the Lord Jesus, at our expense. He gave his life to die for our sins. Because guess what? We offended him greatly, more than anybody could ever offend us, and he took that willingly and went to the cross for us. See, God would have been completely justified to exercise his wrath against us, to retaliate against us, but he didn't. Instead, he made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the free and righteous, forgiven people of God. The foundation of genuine forgiveness is faith in God's sovereignty. So is there anyone that came to mind that you need to forgive? Someone that you're holding a grudge against, harboring some bitterness toward. Think of that person, that one that you've been thinking about this whole sermon. Ask God to help you forgive them. Commit this week to praying for the Lord to do their forgiving through you commit this week to praying for that person. Ask God's help. Ask God how he's got, he wants to use all of this, all of, all of every injustice against you, how he wants to use all of that for his glory, for your good, because he will and he's going to. We're going to close in a minute. We're going to close with a new song called Christ is Mine Forevermore. I just want you to listen to a couple of the verses. The song says this, Mine are tears in times of sorrow, darkness not yet understood, through the valley I must travel where I see no earthly good, but mine is peace that flows from heaven and the strength in times of need. I know my pain will not be wasted. Christ completes his work in me. Mine are days here as a stranger, a pilgrim on a narrow way, one with Christ I will encounter, harm and hatred for his name, but mine is armor for this battle, strong enough to last the war, and he has said that he will deliver safely to the golden shore. Come rejoice now, O my soul, for his love is my reward, fear is gone, and hope is sure. Christ is mine forevermore. Would you stand as we close in a word of prayer?
Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you are the same God of Joseph. You are our God. You are in control of everything. Lord, help us to leave this place understanding even just a little bit more of just how big a God you are. Lord, help us to see everything that comes into our lives as having gone through you first. Lord, in all the pain we experience, all the hurt, every injustice, every lie, every humiliation, Lord, help us to take all that, see it for what it is, and turn it to you. God, we cannot forgive this way in our own strength. We need the Lord Jesus. For that person that we're thinking about right now, God, forgive that person through us. Lord, help us to forgive that person. Help us to forgive every offense that comes our way this week. Lord, recognizing that apart from Christ, we're doomed too. Lord, help us to extend the grace, the mercy, the kindness, the gentleness, and the forgiveness that you have so lavishly given us. God, may people see the forgiveness that we display and may they come to know something of you. And Lord, help us to see your hand at work in all of it. Lord, as you sovereignly direct all of the affairs of our lives toward the end that you want, the end that will bring you the most glory, the end that will uh, be the most good for us and bring the most blessing for us. And Lord, help us to use all of those things, even the bad. For your glory, Lord, to minister to others, to come alongside people who have experienced the same and to point them to the hope that is in Christ Jesus. And Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is ours forevermore. And God, we trust in your sovereignty. Lord, so help us to keep that big view of you as we go about this week, extending genuine forgiveness to all. We pray these things. All God's children said, 